Tapestry plans employees, Metro X, and Super Skill Pinball 4K. This is staying in. This is a debate that has been raging in my house, and I brought it here for us to settle. Okay. Okay. Here we go again. We've we've solved things such as where should eggs be kept. We've debated things such as what makes a sandwich, the bread or the filling. Feeling pretty, pretty bread. Proud, proud about that one, yeah. So I want you all to close your eyes and imagine a Twix, okay? If you don't know what a Twix is, it's made by uh, the Mars Corporation, which is owned by Nestle, I think. And a Twix has a, uh, is a, a fi- comes in a finger and you'll usually have like a crunchy base a caramel top and it's wrapped in chocolate and you get two of them in a pack now peter hello is a twix a biscuit or a chocolate bar quick quick fire come on quick fire it's it it, it let's be honest it's a chocolate bar chris chocolate bar dan chocolate bar well <laughs> okay so something to the biscuit i'm sorry i'm sorry raging <laughs> yeah this is <laughs> This has been the highlight of, of our last few weeks. So, yeah, I think it's a biscuit. And, well, you're and wrong. for this reason, right, Go okay. On. Yep. Now close your eyes and conjure up a Cadbury's finger. Now, is a Cadbury's finger a biscuit or a chocolate bar? Peter. It's a biscuit. Chris. Biscuit. Dan. It's a biscuit. So, why does the addition of caramel suddenly make something a chocolate bar? It's not about the addition of caramel. No, no it's not. No, it's not. No. It's the it's, it's, the, it's the, the entire components of two bar two sticks of chocolate wrapped indivi- kind of wrapped as a packet as opposed to a box of many many chocolate fingers. Mm. You're buying one Twix. You're not buying a pack of biscuits. But you can buy tw- individual Twixes. You can buy them in packs of one. So is it then? Yeah, but you can't really, and I'm not saying you, you can. But tra- hang on, wait, wait, wait. Traditionally, and I'm not saying you can't do this because I know you're going to come back to me and say, oh, well, I saw this once. Traditionally, you wouldn't buy a solitary custard cream. You would buy a pack of custard creams. That's true. Very Doesn't true. mean that you couldn't. Um, if you wanted to, you could buy a single custard cream. I'm sure there are coffee shops that sell single packed custard creams. I, I, exactly. How- so when you're buying a Twix, you're buying a pack of biscuits. No, no, no. Just like no, you would no, buy no, a pack of bourbons. No, Sam. No, Sam. No. So, so again, okay, here's another part. A caramel a, ca- a caramel digestive, crunchy base, caramel top, c- chocolate on top of that. That's a biscuit. So how is that different to a Twix? If, you get to, if I put two of those together and wrap them up, suddenly that's a chocolate bar, is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. a caramel digestive is twice baked. It's a biscuit, isn't it? <laughs> All right, Mr. McVitie. I'm curious as to know how many people have uh, so far gone along with your interpretation of what a Twix is. Has mm. anyone agreed with you yet, Sam? Because I, I, I don't believe that we are the first person, first people you've asked. Don't, like say, don't say your infant son. <laughs> uh, people do, but it's mainly just a... Appease you. Appease. It's mainly acquiescence. <laughs> is it yeah, after an hour of debate? Yeah, it's mostly it's mostly to it's mostly to sort of make you go away what uh, because you've accosted somebody in the street and you've handed them a flyer and said and said but it is a biscuit though, isn't it? And you handed them a chocolate finger and a Twix and said, "How are they different? How are they different?" Sorry, sir, but you do need to leave Debenhams. <laughs>
If you if you had a biscuit barrel, I don't have a biscuit barrel, but yeah. if you would, would you put Twixes in it? Yes, the single ones. Yeah, the single ones. This is so see no see in the, in that case, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put them in there. No, the I the, the even if there were single Twixes, they would remain in the cupboard. My biscuits, because I do have a biscuit tin. My biscuits go in the biscuit tin. The chocolate bars go in the cupboard. Oh, come on! It's it's 2020. Why why are we putting labels on all these things? Um, so you're the person that's doing it. What <laughs> you are? So 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 a penguin then a penguin or a Tim Tam, if you're yeah. in Australia, biscuit <laughs> yeah. or chocolate bar, biscuit it's a biscuit. Well, yeah, exactly. So why does elongate? It's Sam, how often do you go out and buy a solitary it's, penguin? It's not necessarily that I I. I believe wholeheartedly that a Twix is a biscuit. I'm more interested in why does a penguin being a biscuit, if you elongate it and put a bit of caramel on, suddenly it's a chocolate bar. Like, what is it about its form that suddenly it just changes its substance, even though constituently they're both made up of the same sort of stuff? Well, exactly. I can tell I can tell you right now that, that Her Majesty's Revenues and Customs <laughs> define it as a confectionery item and not a biscuit or even a chocolate-covered biscuit, which is treated differently for the purposes of tax. Uh, my point was there going go, to be, then. if when you go Thank to the you. shop, do you find a Twix in the biscuits or in the confectionery? You find Twixes oh, in actually, the confectionery. Uh, now, here's the thing. There are shops, so, supermarkets don't help with this because they're in the same aisle and they'll usually be at the intersection between the two. Still, still belongs I, in the I think confectionery. The supermarkets, no. I think does the, the Twix sit next no, to a Mars bar or does it sit next to a custard it's cream? A gr- it's a it's a it's a it's a blurry line. Um, did I tell you about a teacher I knew years ago who didn't know really how to deal with crying students when they'd come into his office? So his tactic <laughs> Is that was a common to, occurrence. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it would happen. Like you get students in tears, yeah. and what he would do is he'd give them a penguin and get them to read the joke. <laughs> I took a I took a That's glass right. of water then. Ah. Uh, what? I mean, Sam, you weren't kidding when you because we have a WhatsApp group that's just for this podcast. When Sam said, "To be fair, what I'm bringing to the opening could last us the whole pod." <laughs> it's true, yeah. It's I'm, true. I'm willing to take this. When the inland revenue is on my side, I know I'm, you know, on the right direction with this with this theory. But you're but you're not. They're not. You're not. They're you not on said, your side. You just They're said not. for tax purposes, it's just, it's. So it's, Sam, inadvertently there, you have buried yourself by saying that you agree yeah. with whatever the Inland Revenue Service say, and no, they go I'm against you. With, I'm agreeing with how Pete interpreted it. Which is not no, no, you're exactly agreeing right. with anybody who agrees with you. No, what what did the IRS say? Uh, the HMRC. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Said. Uh, sorry, uh, if we could all if we could all stand for the national anthem. <laughs> uh, so uh, they say that it is a confectionery uh, and not a a biscuit or a chocolate covered biscuit. Both uh, and all three of those are treated differently when it comes to okay. So it's uh, not a biscuit or a chocolate covered. It's neither of those. Do you do you know how they determine what is a biscuit and what is a cake? Yes, I do. They leave it, don't they, Dan? I think, yeah. I think we've discussed this more than Her Majesty's mm. Revenue and Customs. <laughs> it's been a while since I've talked about Stone My Game. 
and this is going to be a bit of a twofer really. I've been very kindly sent a copy of an expansion uh, called Tapestry Plans and Ploys. It came out just recently and it's an expansion for their game Tapestry which came out last year. There are different types of expansions for board games. You get some which are offer additional components and variants so it's about playing the base game in different ways you know they, they change the rules just to add a little bit of variety so off the top of my head i think of the splendor expansion cities of splendor where it is literally just four different variants in the box but there's also there's other types of expansion which don't change really any of the rules of the base game they're just adding more stuff which yeah. creates more or, variety or allows more people to play the game so yeah. yes yes that's sometimes often the case definitely um this is the second of those three things so this is plans employees which is basically more of what you like to add variety to the playing of the game it's really for those people who have played a lot of tapestry and they feel now that they've kind of already got a feel of the the kind of the various different variable player powers and setups um, and they kind of want a little bit more, really, but something that doesn't change the things they like in there. Um, so this was designed by Jamie Stegmaier, uh, with art by Andrew Bosley, and Ron Brown does sculpts. And one of the things that puts Tapestry on the map, really, uh, like a lot of Stonemaier games, is the quality of the components. And I know we've speaking, spoken about Pendulum before, where we felt actually that wasn't best exemplified there. But this is... This is your stereotypical Stonemaier game. We're talking linen finish um, player boards Ooh. a la Wingspan. Yeah. We're talking these chunky painted miniatures, which are these buildings which you put onto your little builder mat and they're like um, tetronomos at the base. So there's a little puzzle there in terms of how you arrange them on your board. And you know when you cover certain pieces, certain amounts of them will give you bonuses and stuff. It's a civilization game. I've not had much experience of playing board game versions of civilization games. It's quite a lean one in comparison to lots of ones I hear like through the ages. This clocks in at around 90 minutes to two hours playing time, which may seem like a lot for you know your standard game, but for a Civ game, that's you know, it's erring on the kind of lighter side really. So it's quite nice to scratch that itch in the same way that like the Battle of Polytopia, the mobile game we spoke about on an ages ago podcast scratches that itch in a very frenetic quick burst on a, on a mobile phone spotlights on civ games so <laughs> the more you know so this is essentially where um imagine the four of us are playing and uh we've each got a bit like when we've been playing civ 5 occasionally online we're each in charge of a particular civilization um we start with nothing so in this game you start with basically humanity's learned to make fire and then you make certain choices on what's generally called um, tech trees. They're quite a common component. And what you picture with a tech tree is like a branching path of forked forks. And when you make certain choices, you, you, you're basically deciding what your civilization is going to focus on. So the way that this game works, Tapestry, is you have these four different advancement tracks that go around each side of the board. And as you, you, know, you have a playing piece on each side and you have to make that decision to go, okay, which of the four am I gonna use? Am I gonna focus on science? Am I gonna focus more on technology? Am I gonna focus on military or exploration? Um, there's no culture, which is a bit of an oversight in my view, but anyway, you're spending resources and it's that classic Stonemaier thing that you see in games such as Scythe, where imagine you've got lots of dials 
and you're fiddling with them to get the optimum ads that works for you. And every time I play it, I do something slightly different. I might want to be more aggressive and focus on military, or I might want to actually um, um, focus more on, say, technology. And it's quite nice because you have to really think about that kind of that process. And it's that it's not engine building per se, but there's something quite nice about using the limited resources you've got to try and last as long in a particular age. Because a bit like Pendulum, really, everyone's running this game at a different time stream. So if I'm really good, I can make my resources last really long. So my age will uh, um, last a little bit longer than, say, somebody else around the table. I've played games of tapestry where one person has nearly finished their second age while the other person is not quite finished their first age just because of the choices they've made. And um, it's really interesting kind of process in that regard. And what I like is each of these four different tracks give you slightly different bonuses. So for technology, I grab technology cards and I invent stuff and that gives me bonuses. If I'm exploring, there's a map in the center of the board, I can get navigation tiles, which I can kind of place on the board and that can expand my um, reach across this map. If I focus on military, I can conquer other people's territories. Or if I fancy a bit of chance, I can roll the science die, focus along that track, which is like, you know, there's chance discoveries in science. And suddenly I can make a leap forward in another one of those free advancement tracks. And you, as you're moving along these tracks, you unlock things along the way. I can get buildings, which I can put on my, my little capital city board. So there's another map that each player has. And when I first played this game, I was quite put off by the fact there's a lot of moving parts here. A lot of moving parts. Big map in the center that everyone's working on. Then everyone's got their own separate little map. There's a little puzzle there. There's a little puzzle there in the center. But actually, it's one of those games that the more I play it, the more I really enjoy it. Because I realize that actually... The whole point of this game is not to do everything. You're not trying to do all of it. That's the totally wrong way to play this game because you realize your civilization cannot advance with everything on max for science, technology, military, and exploration. It just doesn't work. You've got to pick at least two of them and focus on them. And part of the joy of this game, which has led to its expansion, is that variability. And to give that little bit of spice, you have those variable player powers. And these are your civilization cards. Um, you have them at the very beginning and it's basically everyone has a different agenda with theirs i, I was just going to say like how how unique how how much flavor do you get with each, with each civilization does each player get like a different one and this is like oh these are the the tough aggressive guys and these are like the nerdy science people like is it like when you, when you get dealt your card at the start it's very clear of like you should be going down the science route or you should be going down the military route yeah there's a little bit of that definitely yeah 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 and there's tons of them already in the base game there's tons of them and the expansion adds more it adds more buildings and it may, it really does make you think a lot more about terms of how you want to play the game add on top of that that at the end of each um, era you play what's called a tapestry card because the premise of this game is what story are you going to tell for your civilization okay. I like that. and each in each era is a tapestry and they go really far reaching so there's what you could play one card which is called like the dark ages where essentially if memory serves me correct you advance one track but reduce on three of the others um, basically your ear has gone into the dark age and you, you have to make that decision there or you play another one which is socialism um, so it, it, it's, a, it's basically almost as a tapestry card for every single political ideology or so you know social political kind of um, structure 
and it's genuinely really interesting there's like the industrialist you know there's there's those that are heavily capitalist heavily militarized and you you kind of get a tapestry card at the very beginning and you'll draw a tapestry card at the end of each round but you may pick up more cards on the way and um it's great because you, you can create <laughs> you can create a very unique and quite unconventional era or history of your civilization and it's really quite fun going back and tracking forward the decisions you've made it's one of those few games where afterwards we spend a little bit of time discussing what each player did and how we got there we tell that story which is lovely i was just going to say it sounds like you know and what the expansion is doing is kind of bringing more stories to the table because it's kind of like that's why cosmic encounter is my favorite game is the fact that with every expansion, all it's giving you is different aliens who act and behave in a certain way and get you to ask questions about how are you going to play and how are you going to interact with the other players rather than how are you going to win? How are you going to beat the other players down? Like all that kind of stuff. Like I really like it when a game comes out with something or does something that encourages more of those sort of diplomatic skills and those things that encourage like narrative and and like story on top of a game yeah and it does so more so than scythe definitely like i I prefer this to scythe i know a lot of people don't and tapestry a lot of people are uneasy about it but i think that's generally people who play a lot of civ games because this this does some things a little bit unusual so usually civilization games tend to pride themselves on a tech tree that is logical you know, there's a neat kind of clear linear line and it makes logical sense as you progress from one bit to the other. So like discovering the moon before you, you know, discover yeah. penicillin I mean, or whatever. And it's funny you say that. We do, You do go into space in this game. If you get very far across the navigation track, you unlock space tiles and stuff. And there's like, if you can, you can unlock the building for the space station, which you can put on your board. So you're actually building a town. And with the 3D beautiful sculpts by Ron Brown, you do feel like you've got like a town on there, which is great. And it's a mini game in itself. And yeah, I, 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 it's really interesting. It's one of those few games that has grown on me more and more because you know what it is when you're playing the same game with the same group of people. Yeah. You know, there's not enough, there's, there's not that much prevarication. And actually, you're just enjoying what other people are doing. It's not about the competition. It's like, oh my gosh, you're playing that. Because as you say, lots of the stuff is predicated on being where other people are. So, you know, I might not be able to invent a technology card unless somebody, it doesn't have to be me, somebody has got to that particular stage on that advancement track. So you're very much playing what other other people are doing to do certain things. And so much of these civilization cards are predicated on, say, copying what someone else has done or sticking a cube on somebody else's tile. So when they unlock that, you get that bonus as well. So it's, it's, it's actually really, it's not like this is my civilization, don't touch it. I'm doing, I've got my own little project you're actually very much engaged with that. And it's not an overly thematic game, but the art is gorgeous. The the components are wonderful. And it's just requiring you to have that little bit of imagination to really kind of want to to kind of lose yourself in that, in this way is a treat really. And the expansion's lovely. It adds a bag, a little thing. You know, there's lovely attention to detail of things that Stone do very well. There's even stuff there that you don't really need, but it's lovely that it's there. (laughs) 
and like what i mean by oh, that is board games no there's like there's, there's like these little markers that you can put so when you i think when you unlock a building you can take that marker away so it's very clear that that building is now gone and somebody else has taken it so you don't necessarily need that because you can just look around the table to see where that building is um, but the bag is very nice uh, the thing i love is just seeing these new civilizations there you're thinking oh my gosh that's going to be great because when you pick them at random it's it's really nice to be forced to kind of play and you know to not just develop the same habit and win the same you won last time yeah yeah you can't repeat what you did before. That's so it nice. becomes this wonderful epic combination lock. And it's generally one of my favorite games from Stonemaier. And I think this expansion, it's really nice. It's a compact little box, unassuming. And it comes with lovely sculpts and miniatures. And it's, yeah, it's just really lovely. My, my test of a good expansion is, does it all fit in the original box? Yeah, that's the thing, it doesn't. Uh, just because it being Stonemaier, a bit like Wingspan, you've got this immaculate kind of insert yeah, yeah. for all of the different miniatures, so you can't add this in there, unfortunately. But it's it's really it doesn't take up much shelf space. It's a really lovely game and generally surprising. But what I would say is that you'll be turned off it probably on your first game because it's quite overwhelming. There is so many moving parts in it. But in the same way that when you're playing Root, you're not playing all the factions of Root at the same time. Yeah. Um, but just pick two advancement tracks and just focus on that really and enjoy the fact that the next game you'll do what you didn't do this time round. there's plenty for you to play here it's just wonderful we're getting into the spooky month and I was just wondering I mean I know what Pete's views on Halloween are anyway yeah. but like I was just wondering whether we're feeling particularly spooky at the moment or has all the horror been used up already in 2020 I, th- I think I I've just... made my feelings around Halloween quite clear in the past yes. I, I, if, if there was an Ebenezer Scrooge for Halloween his name would be Daniel Frost yes and I would be joining you for that I would be you could be Jacob Marley okay I could be Jacob Marley I'd be Jacob Marley then yeah I've, I've learned my bitterness from you yeah it's good though because I, th- I hate Halloween I think it's I think it's spooky and it frightens me. Oh, see, I th- um, see, I dislike it for a different reason then. I dislike it just purely for its commercialism nonsense. And it actually means nothing. Chris, let me tell you what I do celebrate around this period of time. Because it is important. <laughs> other than your birthday, which you've already spoken about. <laughs> other than my birthday. <laughs> I do celebrate something called Halloween. Right. So Halloween is a special um, holiday that Alex and I made up because she really loves Halloween um, and I really don't. The the original odd couple. But what we really like is autumn because we were like, look, we love autumn. We love squashes. We love leaves falling. We love turning the radiators on. We love all of those things. I've just got this image of like Pete going for a walk in the park and a couple of leaves fall down and he just starts dancing in the leaves as they yeah. as they tumble yeah. from the sky, singing at the top and of his do, voice. Do you get, do you get like a, a B-list celebrity to turn your radiator on every year? Yeah, basically. Yeah, basically. Like the, the, the main thing that we do, the main thing that we do is, you know, we try and push as much as we can to make sure that we don't have to put the heaters on. But as soon as those heaters go on, we're like, oh, tis the season. And so Halloween is, it's, it's, I've allowed, I've allowed cutie, cute spoopy. So like, basically like spooky cute. Like, so, so for example, ghosts, 
but they're like you know little sheets and they got little smiles on their face and they're eating cookies uh so that's that's allowed that's and alex has been like fine and she's pushed for that that's where we've had to compromise but what we both love is having like pumpkin pie and um and pumpkin seeds. Have you ever had pump, toasted pumpkin yeah, seeds? Yeah, I've just I've just made my second pumpkin pie actually already this month. I hope you don't throw those seeds out. Perhaps. No, I always toast them. Bit of paprika, toast those seeds. Beautiful. salt and pepper. Because there's some great food. There's some great drink. I've uh, never had pumpkin pie. Oh, Dan. Dan. I've never eaten pumpkin pie. I've never eaten toasted pumpkin seeds. I've never made a pumpkin. A Halloween pumpkin. Oh, a Halloween pumpkin, right. Yeah, yeah. So, so is it fo- is it is it Halloween as in a holiday that follows Halloween, or is it Fallween as in the season of fall, as our kind of American friends may call it? It's the latter because Autumnween doesn't sound quite as good. Yeah, f- like we 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 workshopped it for a good three days to figure out what the best name would be. But can I can I? Is it just the case that you don't like getting scared, Pete? You don't get that pleasing terror that Mr. James talks about when getting it. scared. I, I I I like I like horror. Yeah. But I don't like being scared. I I can't stand right. the sensation of being scared. Pete, me that, and you have talked before right. and I still think it's a great idea for a podcast of having a yeah. ha- having a podcast where you just talk about what happens in a scary film because you've read it as opposed yeah. to actually watching that scary film. Just reading out a plot synopsis for a scary film. Should we do another one this time around? Like maybe we make it like a tradition or something. What what would the what would the what what's the latest horror movie that everyone's talking about? There's uh, the Haunting of Blind Manor on Netflix. I'm not sure if that's a. I've nearly finished watching The Haunting of Hill House, which is actually genuinely really good. It's really really good. There's some because for me, a good ghost story is one that where the ghost the ghost objective is very clear. They're not just scaring. The characters for the sake of scaring them there's a reason there's a kind of a method in the madness really and that those for me stay with me longer because you know there's a real clear emotional objective here and the haunting of hill house at the moment is shaping up to be a really really good um example of that really so i i've just finished reading all of lovecraft's written work uh okay uh, in terms of fiction so i've written i've, I've read all of the uh work where he had the byline and I've read all of his uh, ghost writing, uh, where he wrote for people like Harry Houdini and um, for uh, his uh, with his wife um, and a bunch of other really interesting people. Um, so I've read all of his work now, which is quite exciting. Um, and I love cosmic horror. I love I love the the kind of horror that you get in the Twilight Zone and the Outer Limits, where you actually it kind of rocks what you're thinking about. I like Silent Hill. I like um, things where I get to the end of something and I it lingers with you and sits with you for ages and you think about it it's very smart what I don't like is like like that's like I like to me that yeah jump scares yeah yeah, like jump scares don't like so like again read I reread Dracula earlier this year amazing reread Frankenstein love that fantastic um, but I couldn't, I couldn't deal with stuff like Stephen King because it's just like, and then the blood and the gore was, oh, it was gross. Well, I think that's the thing. I think so many times a film or a book or something, the goal of it is to scare you as opposed mm. to make you think. So certain horror films in recent years, I'm thinking about things like Get Out, is probably a, a horror film. 
Mm. But it actually kind of just, it's more about the ideas the film is putting forward rather than be scared, hide behind the sofa kind of thing. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe that's more of a thriller than a than a than a horror, but I think it would definitely fall into that genre. But those things I don't mind as much. Um, but I just I, I just hate the the feeling of being scared. I don't know why someone would seek that feeling out. There's a no, reason you're scared. No. It's because something yeah. bad is happening. That is not a good. That's not something to your seek out. Your body's saying. Your body's saying this is bad. Leave this. Yes. Leave, be away from here. Fear is the fight or flight thing. Not it's yeah. not fight <laughs> yeah. or flight or stick around and see what happens. But do you not like the idea of that that feeling of kind of like testing, you know, occasionally seeing actually, yeah, this this is where I check out and this is where I'm like, okay, that's too much for me kind of thing. That's where my strategy of reading a synopsis comes in because it allows me to right. watch that film with the safety yeah. net that I don't have yeah. that because <gasps> yeah. I know what's going to happen. So, right. so let's, so for example, let's start. So I'm not going to spoil the whole thing because, you know, I don't want to, but I'm going to, this is, this is how I would envisage our podcast, Dan, where we read out the plot synopsis from Wikipedia of movies. This is how I, I imagine it would sound. Okay. Um, okay. So the way that this would work is, hello. And what, basically there would be a chip tune intro because all the bad podcasts have chip tune <laughs> intros. Um, and um, basically, uh, like, hello and welcome to Dan and Pete's podcast about um, bad movies and reading out the plots of movies. We'd come up with a better title than that. I'm Dan and he's um, Pete. Uh, hello. Um, and are you ready to get spooky today, Dan? I'm always ready to get spooked with you, Peter. <laughs> Fantastic. And now a word from our sponsors. And then it'd be something about mattresses or something... Or- or, or maybe something about um, that that um, that body grooming shaver that keeps going, <laughs> keeps yeah. getting advertised to me on YouTube. <laughs> Everything. Yeah. It's too long, men of God, without grooming. Yeah. So so um so let's see whether or not Chris, let's see whether or not um this this sort of jives with you. So, photographer Adam Stanhite awakens in a bathroom with his ankle chained to a pipe. Across the room is oncologist Dr. Lawrence Gordon. Between them is a corpse holding a revolver and a micro-cassette recorder. Both men find a tape in their pockets and Adam retrieves the recorder. Adam's Adam's tape... (laughs) Adam's tape urges him to escape while Gordon's tape tells him to kill Adam by six o'clock or his wife Alison and daughter Diana will be killed. Adam finds a bag containing two hacksaws inside the toilet, which they then try to use to cut through their chains. But Adam's saw breaks. Gordon realises the saws are meant to be used on their feet and identifies their captor as the Jigsaw Killer, a serial killer who tests his victim's will through murderous contraptions as games. Gordon knows of the Jigsaw Killer because he was once a suspect. Oh, I'm I'm loving this. I'm loving this Jack and Ori tone of voice. So I think I think that would be I think that would be pretty good. And then we'd put again mid roll for an advert. And then we just finish off what the plot was. I mean, I love the fact that you were really worried about spoiling a film that's 16 years old. <laughs> I mean, I, I, saw, I saw this at uni. I saw this when we were at uni, uh, and what there's been about six of them since then. I really like this idea, Pete. I think this could be big. Okay, I think I think this unlike. Adam and Lawrence. I think this has legs, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. If we, if we get if we get ten thousand subscribers, me and people make an episode of this. As you may have spotted, or in you know cared about the last few weeks or whatever, I've been going on a bit of a rabbit hole 
going down a bit of a rabbit hole. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, go on. <laughs> about um, solitaire gaming. Oh, oh, we've reached that level of age. We've reached this level I of see. age. Where <laughs> I'm looking around, uh, someone to play with, and I'm just like, oh. You know that you know that gif of John Travolta in uh, <laughs> that Quentin Tarantino movie where he's like, uh, uh, well, uh, uh. well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You've gone down one of the three potential routes of okay. uh, of of tabletop gaming. Oh, okay. The, what are the three? So basically, when when you get to a certain age, we've talked about two of them before. You get to a certain age and yeah. you go down the solitaire gaming route. Mm-hmm. You go to a certain, or at the same time. You decide that you know what, you know what historical games they will be the things that I will become interested <laughs> in. Um, and then the third one, the third one is you go. I don't want to do this anymore at all, and you sell your entire collection only to come back in about a decade and wish you hadn't sold that rare copy of um, Mage Mage Knight. That's well, the that's, uh, tech tree. That's the that's the yeah. That is the board gamer getting older tech tree. Okay, well, well, I've got um, no kind of interest in historical games. Not yet. I'm definitely keeping most of my collection. So solita- solitaire it is. Oh, there we are. Um, which is something that like, I've had a bit of an interest in anyway, because, as you know, my other obsession is roll and write games. Mm. Um, uh, and, and I've the most never heard you talk about roll and write games, Sam. I know, well. <laughs> Not so even let once. Me explain, let me explain what one of those is. So most of them can be played solitaire, and... I guess part of it comes from my grandpa was uh, the first person to teach me a card game. He taught me Clock Solitaire. And we used to... We, I say we, which is me on my own. <laughs> say, but this this has all the makings of a Werther's original advert. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and so he would just generally... like I'd go around his house with my grandma. She was there too. And uh, give, me, give me a deck of cards and I'd sit there for hours playing clock solitaire and i to be fair i used to I play think, that I, I i called it clock patience but i used to play that what's what's well, what's clock solitaire so clock solitaire is so you know there's a general genre of games which are called like solitaire game or, or patience games solitaire is probably the most well known which is the game where you're essentially trying to organize a randomized deck of cards back into order again it's essentially what you're doing in clock solitaire you do it basically in a clock face and so you have like 12 different stacks of four cards and then a pack of cards uh, and then the rest the other four cards in the middle and so you'll draw a card from the middle of the deck if it's a one you put it underneath where the one sits on a clock you take the top card off the off the one and then so say that's a six, you'll then put that underneath a six and take the top card off a six and then keep on going until you pull a king. Because obviously there's only 12, 12 numbers. So if you're pulling a king, that goes nowhere. So that goes underneath the middle of the deck and then you pull a card off the middle of the deck and you carry on going until either you've completed all of the clock or you've picked the last card up off the middle of the deck. That's clock solitaire or clock patience. It's good. It's a cracker. Okay. It's a cracker. I mean, I have bought David Parlett's book on patience games, and I was a bit peeved about it because resting my mic rests on for most of this recording so this huge compendium of the Penguin card games um, written by David Parlett. Uh, everything you need to know to play over 250 games, 
Does it include any solitaire ones? No. 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 Separate book. Yeah, expansion. The, the expansion. That's how they <laughs> the get expansion. you, isn't it? So I'm going to start working my way through that through that book because I thought like I can carry on like just playing roll and rights on my own, or let's actually go down a bit of a rabbit hole with with card games. But yeah, so yeah, I've just been playing lots of games on my own. So I recently played Metro X, which is a flip and write game. So that's like a roll and write, but you're doing it with cards. Right. Okay. So we've all played Welcome To. Right. Um, yes, we have. So it's the same thing. You're flipping over things and filling in boxes. And Metro X is super, it's, it's really, really interesting. I played a couple of rounds on my own today. And the idea of the game is that you'll get given this map and it looks like the kind of metal spaghetti that when you first go to London or you first go to uh, any city that's got a metro system that you've never been to before you look at it and go i'm never gonna mm. what i'm never gonna work this out i can't get home now yeah <laughs> yeah like when when lisa and i went to new york we looked at the the sort of the, the metro system there the subway and we were so daunted by it we spent most of our time going around new york on the um, <laughs> on the um drop on on drop off tour bus pack that we bought so whenever we wanted to get anywhere we'd get on hear the same things over and over again about (laughs) (laughs) this is the statue of liberty and this is the iron building and all this kind of stuff just to get to where we want to go because we just were so daunted by the 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 subway (laughs) and the Incidentally, sorry, tangent. The one time we did get the subway, we were all the way up in Harlem, which if you've ever been to mm. um, New York is basically north of Central Park. So you've got Manhattan, like Central Park, and then there's Harlem right at the top. So we okay. went to Harlem to go and have some soul food. And it was really, really late. So we thought, oh, we'll get the subway back. Just risk it. Subway was closed for maintenance. So <laughs> we had to walk the entire length of Central Park oh, um, to wow. get back to our hotel room. Oh um, word. It's a lovely memory now, but at the time it was <laughs> but at the time it was you know. <laughs> daunting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so Metro X is um a, a flip and write game that kind of captures a bit of that a bit of that sense of what it's like to try and navigate your way through these like colourful byways and highways of an underground metro system. Uh, essentially all you do is you're flipping over cards, it will give you a number and then you've got to write that number in a little train and then <laughs> And then you've got to like cross off that many stops on basically where this train will be going. And it's really, really interesting because I, I was playing it and I immediately had a flashback to when I was living in London. And after I'd been in London for several months, you, you kind of have this feeling where you feel like you've mastered the underground. And if someone tells you like, oh, how do I get to there? You're just like, watch this right you're going to take that train and you're going to move over to there and then you're going to get to this platform and go down there and that's how you're going to get to to where you need to be and that feeling of being able to master a a sort of industrial cosmopolitan system is exceptionally satisfying and metro x kind of simulates that in a way and how it asks you to build points and arrange the stations that you're crossing off it's that same kind of way of right look at this map I want to, I'm starting here and I need to get here. How can I do that in the most economical way possible? And it's really, really like I've not felt like that about a game before in terms of how it replicates a, a sort of that like modern sort of mapping like structure of like a it's really interesting that it's like it's called Metro X and I thought it was just like, oh, this is just like 
they've called it this because it all these lines look pretty but it actually is really like it seems really embedded like that untangling of a modern city metro system mm. into a roll and write game like it's super and interesting. Un- understanding systems is like a huge part of the appeal for a lot of games right like yeah, yeah, yeah. like like actually figuring out how different pieces interconnect with one another what happens when you you know when you when you when you take one input and put it in this place and but and take that same input and put it in another how does that actually change the sort of meta structure of how you approach that game i tell you what though these look like some very good pens uh, oh, the pens are pens. incredible. Really? The, the marker pens are incredible. Yeah. Because it's all about the nib. So um, they do the, the marker pens do two things that I really like. Okay. So right and common... erase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the common design at the moment for uh, roll and write dry white markers is you'll have a thin white pen and then they give you a really thick top that's wider than the actual pen itself and is a bit of a nuisance because the top flicks off really easily because okay. there's like the, the it's like the weight compensation is a bit too much so you end up like flicking the erasers on the table and getting them back into the box is a bit tricky however with metro x the eraser is actually only slightly bigger than the pen itself so there's a bit of a like a good like better better weight distribution throughout the pen itself and the <laughs> and the and the nib is pointed so it's not like a rounded nib uh, so it means uh. that like you've actually got a bit of the the finesse you need when it comes to like writing in and like doing stuff on the board so yeah so it in terms of like if i was to do roll and write reviews this would be getting top marks for its um pen design yeah, i, I yeah. do think as a roll and write aficionado having a t-shirt saying it's all about the nib it's all about the <laughs> <laughs> i mean nothing quite be- nothing quite beats the pens uh that you get in copies of uh silver and gold and uh quicks that was that was that was more time spent even though it wasn't that long felt like a lifetime talking about pen nibs hey man hey man hey man and and then the nib to eraser ratio yeah it's important the erasio <laughs> i feel like Roland rights have stopped being games for you sam i feel like they've become a, i feel like they've become a hobby yeah yeah possibly They're, and i think it's because that they are so flexible in terms of I have roll and write like so. Welcome to can play up to ninety nine players like it, and like and it, it's a good lockdown game as well to play. And remotely. it's a great lockdown game. And I've like Metro X is six players, but it's also one. And I feel like they fill a space for me where there's a personal challenge, but there's also a group challenge in most of them. However, even though I feel that way in most roll and writes, even though all of them, there is one which I feel like pretty much is the only one i would only ever play solo and i'd only ever recommend ever playing it on your own hmm. and that's super skill pinball colon 4k okay uh, i sorry <laughs> i feel like i had an aneurysm there what what is the so it, it's super skill so so no. there's a dash in there so there's a super dash skill super skill there's two dashes super dash skill pinball pinball four four dash, dash k and it's the number four, numerical four, right? Okay. And, and okay, yeah. So this is the this is the brand the brand new game from Jeff Engelstein, who is a board game designer who is 
I don't want to say obsessed, but he's very extremely knowledgeable about the mathematics behind games. He has a book called Game Tech, which is all about the mathematics behind a board game. He's very, very interested in things like game theory. He's got a book coming out in soon, I think, about like how to design your own game. Chris and I play, have lots of fun getting beaten every single time at playing one of his games called Pit Crew. And yeah, his games tend to have this this like wonderful heft behind them of like this like this knowledge that he seems to that he seems to possess in terms of like he's he's extremely knowledgeable about the theory behind board games. He also does lots of stuff on the Ludology podcast, so he does like game tech things on on that like and i've listened to whole podcasts of jeff engelstein talking about like bag building games and what it takes to break them and make them like it's, it's incredibly interesting and like talking about ratios okay. and, and division and like it, yeah if you like that kind of stuff jeff's your man right um, okay good so so super skill pinball 4k is a roll and write game but it's also a pinball simulator so we all know what pinball machines are the things that sit in the back of pubs and when i was a kid i never understood them i just thought you just press the flippers in loads and loads and loads and loads and loads oh the ball's gone down they were so much fun though so much fun but i never realized why they were fun until we went to we went to bury yes and we went to um, the arcade there, which had a row upon row of pinball tables that you could play for free. And they were all franchised like Adam's Family, Simpsons, X-Files. And it was only when I played on the pinball table there that I realised what the attraction was. Because it was the only time I really had a bit more of an of of an understanding of the grammar behind games. So I understood that like, all right, well, if I hit this thing with a pinball... I'm going to get extra points if I then are able to hit that thing. Or if I'm able to get the pinball to sit up at that point of the table, I'm going to get more points for it being there. And maybe if I can get the pinball to go over this way of the table, I could get a multi-ball and score even more points. And that was kind of like the moment where, kind of like, oh, I understand what the the attraction with this with these things are now, this wonderfully tactile and responsive game. Yeah, I think when, you, when you're young, you just want to keep the ball in play for as long yes. as possible that's the whole aim of the game that's the, that's the skill in it is you don't i think when you're young you, you're absolutely right dan it's about longevity rather than the actual like how can you control the ball and what can you do to score much points you can super skill pinball 4k <laughs> let's not bury the lead i genuinely think this is the best solo game i have ever played okay i have had so much fun with this game so much fun that i've actually sort of like divvied up the copy that WizKids kindly sent us and sent all the boards and all the pinballs and everything you need to play to both you you peter and you chris because i thought that like especially you peter this is kind of i thought that like this would be in your wheelhouse in terms of like how do you turn a very tactile and physical experience into a board game and, and mm. how is that reflected on the sheet i've got it i've got it here go on so first of all excellent pen very good yeah but you, but you can see the top of that pen is the eraser very is thick. too thick very yeah, thick too i will say this about the the um about the boards 
they look like really fun pinball tables. You know, the whole thing is laid out really beautifully, like, you know, as if you were looking at a uh, a pinball table. You know, it's it's sort of like portrait. I can see there's like so much color and like little bumpers and stuff like that. Things that really do represent pinball pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, so so as the name suggests, in the box you get four different tables. Huh. So you get the tables themselves, and then you also get like the backs for right. each table. Right. Uh, where you can like just like in a real pinball table, that's what would track your score. Um, that maybe is where you like track your bonuses and all these all this kind of stuff. So when you play each game, you'll have the the front plate, the actual game board, and then you'll have the back, which is where you kind of track your score. And the game is very simple. You'll roll two dice, you'll pick one result, and then using that result, you'll basically direct this small silver ball to hit a certain thing as it's falling down. And it might be a bumper, it might be a little drop zone, it might be a marker, until it hits the flippers, and then you send the ball flinging back up, and then it bounces down until eventually you lose all your balls. And it's how many points you score. And I absolutely love it. I think it's incredibly tactile. It really feels like it genuinely captures that feeling of that feeling of control over something that feels uncontrollable. Like rolling dice is a completely random affair, but and like how a silver ball behaves in a in a pinball is also an incredibly random affair. But this really like captures that feeling of I can I can master this like I can I can really feel like I can control where this ball goes what I can activate to to give myself the best bonuses and what I what can I do to really like eke out all the best from this specific table that I'm playing like absolutely ah oh, so good and and like that's why I love it as a solo experience because like that feeling of like juggling a ball like that that tactile movement of like moving this this thing around i feel like if you were playing with other people it'll be slightly something that's slightly lost because it feels just like when you're playing a pinball table in real life it feels like a very personal a very individual thing and i feel like sharing that is a little bit odd and also if you're not very good or not very lucky it's quite common that you'll just drop out the game while someone else is still like juggling the balls around and like still going you're you're just sat there just like waiting for them to finish so then you can like throw another ball in and right. carry on because i think theme is like incredibly important with with these things like do you feel like the theme was one that you were looking for in the first place anyway or is it just that it matched up nicely i, I was super skeptical about if it would actually work right because my little experience with pinball is is so minimal but yeah it's always felt like a very noisy very sort of hard-hitting and mm. visceral experience like that's a whole point is they're meant to be things that draw a crowd over and stimulate sort of like that dopamine hit of like high score high score yeah bang 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 bang, bang, bang bing, bing, bing 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 so i was super skeptical that this this would be able to pull it off and i i think it does in spades and i think it's helped by the variety in the pinball tables themselves so the first one is called carnival and it's very very simple you just basically fling in a ball around there's a few like extra bonuses that you can trigger like multi-ball and double points very very simple but then as you move on up the next one is about uh like it's like a cyber hacking 
table and it's actually got a thing in it which like as you're playing the pinball table you can do things that trigger basically like hack points and then if you're able to get the ball into the right places you can then trigger a mini game which becomes like a push your luck hacking mini game and essentially where you're trying to hack into this corporation by rolling dice and seeing how far you can get before like essentially the corporation are able to like like catch up with you the other table after that which i haven't played yet but it's the one that i'm most ex- looking forward to is essentially an rpg where you play as a wizard and you you start off with level one spells and then as the game goes across goes on you basically like level up and you can like cast spells and you can cast like cantrips as this pinballing wizard a literal pinballing wizard and you can you essentially act out an rpg but through a pinball table and it's like it's like that ingenuity and interesting imaginative design that has always been at the forefront of pinball tables and i think that's probably the thing that really carries it through in terms of like how it pulls off that theme is that it goes like pinball tables are are wicked crazy y'all so there is no other reason why this shouldn't be as crazy and as varied and interesting Mm. in in his experience Mm. because i think i agree sam it does capture that sense and as soon as i was playing the game it took me back to being in bury it took me back to that microsoft windows pinball game Mm-hmm. And actually, it was quite interesting to start off with. I played with this because you get you get these half spheres, basically these half pinballs, which act as the pinball on the board. I actually yeah. took that off because I, I actually I was I was trying to capture that frenetic pace so much. I was just drawing the pen, and I really enjoyed just the trajectories of this. That's cool. There's also a really lovely nudge mechanic in there, which is a bit of a push your ah, luck yes. element. But again, it's that little detail that Jeff. Engelstein puts in there that's not in it's not on the pinball but it's something that we all do when we're playing we kind of shove the thing a little bit that's why they're they're so robust to these machines and despite the fact that you're playing on what is a board just having the nudge mechanic there feels like actually I can I can kind of tip the odds in my favor but it doesn't allow that to tip the balance too much in your favor because when you make that decision to nudge then you're pushing your luck with subsequent dice rolls, really. And it's a really nice, elegant mechanic where you're not nudging all the time, but you know you've got that option there if you need to, really. It was just great fun. It was just giddy fun. And yeah. you're absolutely right. No, that, I love it. that theatrical experience of when you get the combination of the ball going in a particular bit and suddenly a part of the, the level map, for want of a better word, just appears out of it. And you go, oh, my gosh, yeah. great. I'm going to zone in on that now. It sounds like he's done a wonderful job, a bit like Pit Crew, where he's mm-hmm. kind of capturing, I suppose, the the spirit of the activity. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I've I've been able to print these off. I think that's something that's actually really good about these. Um, I think the two two of the uh, tables that you mentioned there, Sam, uh, Carnival and Cyberhack, are both available to be downloaded for free. So you can download them, you can print them off. Or I don't know, have them on a tablet, and it kind of gives you all the instructions as well as a board for you to play. And I think that's really good that you can kind of get such easy access to it. And we've talked quite a lot about roll and write games and flip and write games on this podcast. Obviously, Sam, you're kind of some would say obsessed, some would say now it's a hobby of yours. Either either the or the grandmaster, one of those. What I would say is that I, I was thinking as you were discussing it then, talking about pinball and how. I was thinking about how weird is it to turn a pinball machine into a board game which works and captures the idea of the pinball. And I feel like it's almost like a conversation we've had in the past about roll and write games. We've we've had roll and write games which kind of represent like 
do the same thing as Tetris does. And there's different games which do different things. And is there is there kind of a type of game which is more flexible than a roll and write? Because we've played... I mean, you talk there within this one game of pinball, you're playing basically an RPG. Are, are there any other types of games which are which are more adaptable than, than roll and write? kind of that genre of games the amount of stuff that we that we've talked about and we probably still only scratch the surface about of what's possible but i can't think of anything that has such a diverse kind of type of game in terms of themes and representing things in the world i would say that i would say that role-playing games are probably pretty high up there but that's quite a large genre um, i'd say i'd say probably deck building games are maybe the thing that the thing that probably uh, is used quite commonly to represent quite a lot of things and systems of, uh, of how they play, like from city building to managing an army to scavenging in the wild or uh, galactic space battles. Dan like- is right, though. Like, like, and and I, I think maybe maybe one of the reasons that it's so flexible is because essentially these roll and write games are essentially, if you can boil something down to put numbers into this and put numbers into that like that i mean that is basically the core of a like i mean so many things in the world but that is also kind of like one of the the intrinsic mechanics of something like a roll and write whereas you look at something like a like a i don't know like an abstract strategy game for example and that's about positioning that's about like um and and not all things in the world like growing plants isn't really a thing that you can make a strategy game out of. Whereas, like, you could see how you would do a roll and write on growing plants because it's like, I put this amount of number of this, I don't know, like... How do you well, grow well there is a roll and write game called Bloom. Right, well, there you go. There you go. I mean, I mean, Chris and I played a roll and write the other day called Roman Roll, which is essentially a Euro game, but with a roll and write at its centre. It's interesting, and isn't it? That's incredible. And, yeah. and, and I feel like... I'll probably speak about that another time because okay. it's, yeah, it's gen- a genuinely interesting experience in terms of like, here's a really, really crunchy and really heavy Euro and complicated experience, but it's a roll and write game. Yeah. Here's your sheet. We're rolling dice. We're filling stuff in. That's it. But yeah. Are we at the point, Sam? Yeah. And by we, I mean <laughs> of you. Of no return. Of no, well, we're, we're long gone beyond that. Are you at the point, Sam? Where uh, you've gone from oh a passing interest in rolling right to oh I enjoy these games of roll and right to roll and right is now a hobby for me. Do you feel like you're going to take this one step further and start because the natural progression of getting into the hobby is hmm could I do this myself? Do you have you, do you is there a little inkling in you where you're just like oh I'd love to do uh, uh, I'd love to do a uh, a roll and write about the the history of uh, late eighties hip hop, or um, I'd love to do a roll and write about um, I don't know uh, like stoic philosophy, or I'd love to do a roll and write about um, looking after nervous dogs, or uh, I'd like to do a roll and write about um, uh, redecorating the house. Or I'd like to do a roll and write about um, football. Or I'd like to do a roll and write about 
um, filling my house with board games. Or I'd like to do a roll and write about cooking nice vegan food. Or, ooh, like to do a roll and write about roll and writes. <gasps> about a person that goes through, oh, wow, okay. It's a game about, it's about you playing every role and right in the world. Uh, I, I mean, I could try. <laughs> <laughs> that was Staying In with Daniel Frost, Sam Turner, Peter Willington and myself, Chris Darby. It's been pretty tabletop heavy this episode. And many thanks to Stonemaier Games, Coiled Spring Games and WizKids Games for very kindly sending us review copies of, you guessed it, their games. All of the games discussed in this episode will be in our Board Game Geek profile, along with the extensive list of all the others we have covered over our previous 114 episodes. If you have your own views on what would make a good roll and write, or want to invest in Pete and Dan's awful idea for a podcast, why not let us know via the usual means? Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. At Staying In Pod is all you need to reach us there. Feel free to join the conversation and ask us a question via these platforms, or just email us at stayinginpod at gmail.com. See you in two weeks. Bye.